Hey everybody, welcome to the Faith Church Podcast, Thanksgiving edition. I'm your host, Jay, and with me is Robbie. Is it the Thanksgiving edition if it's at the week after Thanksgiving? That should have been last week. Hey I everybody, said that last week. welcome to the Faith Church Podcast, Advent edition. <laughs> well, I was just, Thanksgiving's been on my mind, because I, we are, I even today have the, I think the last, not quite the last bit of leftovers, but pretty close. Oh, nice. Because we're on to turkey gravy, biscuits and turkey gravy. Mm. Mm, yep. That's what I have for lunch today, which is not what you would call a power lunch. No? Turkey, wait. Did you just say turkey gravy, or turkey is gravy. it on something? And biscuits. And biscuits. Okay, I was going to say. I feel like missed, we're having something. a thing. If people aren't aware, so, so far today... <clears throat> Robbie, we're deciding that my voice is maybe at a frequency that Robbie struggles to hear, like a dog no, whistle. No, it's that Robbie's brain is addled. No, you... So yeah. I, heard, I heard that, and only half of what you said registered, and I was like, wait a minute, you're having gravy for lunch? That seems yes. like a cry for help. <laughs> I, I feel like gravy. I should intervene. Turkey gravy is healthier than other forms of gravy, from what I understand, because turkey is leaner. Oh. Is that what it is? Okay. Is it? But, and then on biscuits... So this uh-huh. is uh-huh. this is not boding it well for my. Delicious. It is delicious, but it's it uh, it's sleepy. Um, <laughs> so question, Robbie. So uh-huh. since we're post Thanksgiving, and I realize we talked about pumpkins over the fall, we we've done that twice in a row. But I don't think I've ever asked you what's your favorite leftover from Thanksgiving. Like, is there anything that you? The next day, you're like, mm, that's what I. That is a good question. I like all of the leftovers. Although, okay, I like, so are you I a... like the sides more. Like, the one thing that I could do without is the actual turkey. Okay. Like, we were, we had an incident where we almost had no turkey at Thanksgiving, and I was going to be totally fine with that. So it turned out that yeah, we me did. Too, actually. But I, I'm all about the side dishes on thanksgiving so all of the side dishes i think in particular green bean casserole i was gonna say that at the same time i was gonna say i'm gonna say green bean casserole in my mind i thought it's gonna be funny because i'll be like same thing at the same time but joking because i didn't think anybody else would say that no oh but you were saying it with the crispy onion strings yes i love okay but question also sweet potato casserole so if i get those two things then you're good i'm stoked Okay, so, but real green beans or canned green beans in the in the green bean casserole? I, Come on. I, on I, three. I, <laughs> One, two, three. Canned. Real green beans. Oh, oh come no. on, man. Real green yeah. beans. No, not in the green bean casserole, man. The green bean casserole has to be canned green beans and canned cream of mushroom soup <laughs> and canned crispy I onion straws. I don't mind the Campbell's cream of mushroom soup. There are certain things that require... Canned cream. Now, I don't ever want to eat a bowl of Campbell's cream of mushroom soup, but put that in some stuff. Yeah, buddy. Okay, but yeah, I have to say, I mean, I'm a fan of real green beans for everything else. Yeah. But canned green beans and the green bean casserole. One Mm. time, Lauren made it with real green beans, and I was like, "What is this? (laughs) This is this is like green beans just drowning in cream of mushroom soup, and that real green beans don't need that. Just don't work with that. And so, yeah. Now I even okay, doubt so, myself. Now I'm trying to think back if I've ever had fresh green beans. Did you? Do we keep saying real green beans? Fresh they're not green artificial beans. Sorry, green that's beans. true. I'm pretty sure they're that's not. True. Well, maybe they are. Robbie, you don't know what the government created the green beans. Yeah, you don't know what the government does to the green beans. <laughs> I don't. Listen, the um, 
Wait a second. So you're saying you don't know? I'm so confused. Now I'm trying to d d realize if I... I assume... Now I, I'm doubting myself. You don't know that you've yeah. actually had them with real green... With uh, just, fresh green beans. Uh, across the board, I prefer fresh yeah. green beans. But yeah. now you, you're making me doubt myself. Most people just, prefer fresh green my... beans. Okay. Well, you, you go figure that out. Right. Because I think most people's experience of green bean casserole is with canned green beans. I'm going to go home and make a fresh green bean yeah. casserole and yeah. see if it it's is just not the, It's not. Because you it's the texture, too. Like, you need the mushiness. There's just something about the cr you know crispiness of the that. onion straw. But when you get the crispiness of the green, like a well, a properly cooked fresh green bean, yeah. which should be a little crunchy. Crisp, yeah. Yeah. Uh -huh. And um, huh. there's just something about right. it. It's just not, it, do, it doesn't mesh together as well. I'm just saying. You may have persuaded me. It's, um, all right. Well, we'll find that out. So okay. um, this is, this isn't that important. So, but we did figure out that you are a uh, leftover guy that, you like to kind of recreate the Thanksgiving because that's one of the ways to enjoy Thanksgiving leftovers is some people I want to, I'm the recreate the meal I had for Thanksgiving. Mm -hmm. And then there are the people who say, I'm going to turn it into a sandwich. Like the no, old Thanksgiving no, no. sandwich. I want, I want a plate similar plate, to the yep. plate that I had that day. Yeah. I'm, I'm that way too. I tried the sandwich thing this year and I was like, it was underwhelming. Yeah. Just give me all the, give me all the things the way I had them. Just give me before. a pile of the good stuff. Yep. Okay, good. Well, moving on. I think that's it. Is that pretty much all you had about the sermon this week? I think that's I think that's good. Um, I think that covers so one of the God's extravagance. One of the reasons why we're saying that Robbie that I'm speaking on a frequency is one of the things that Robbie suggested. Like, hey, would you want to say this? Because I was thinking this during your sermon, and then proceeded to say basically verbatim something I said in the sermon. So much so that I thought it was a joke. <laughs> he said, "You said, you know, I think maybe you'd want to say this because I think this would be a really good point." And I'm like, wait. Are you saying it was a good point in the sermon, or are you saying are you being funny? And it turns out that Robbie, we just realized that Robbie wasn't paying attention. <laughs> yeah, but I my takeaway is we were in agreement. That That's we your takeaway. Had the same. Okay, so why don't you say what the point was? Because let's let's talk about that. And so what you evidently said with clarity <laughs> and and convincing persuasion. So much so that it burrowed deep into my subconscious uh, was this idea of when, when you're reading through the parable of the, um, the lost son, or, or we call the prodigal son, um, there is this, there's this stark reality that both sons reject the love of the father, right? They're, they're just coming at it from completely different angles. We typically see that as the one son who has rejected the love of the father and he runs away uh, while the other one stays faithful. Um, but the reality is in the end, you know, you see the, the, the big reveal, the conclusion, the punchline in a sense is the older brother who has also rejected the, the love of the father, that it's not the love of the father that is motivating him. It's, uh, you know, both of them want the stuff, but aren't really responding to the father's love. And, um, Evidently, you did a fantastic job of saying exactly that in the sermon. Well done. <laughs> well, no, nobody's going to say, no one's ever going to describe anything I say in a sermon as with e excellent clarity or I whatever disagree. it was you say. So, um, but I, I did contrast that of saying they both, they both reject intimacy with the father. The, the younger son does it by demanding his inheritance and yep. saying, and, and outrightly claiming, I, I want, I want the stuff, not you, but the older brother 
does it in in the sense that he he's also wanting the stuff he's also he just is doing it he thought that he'd earned his place with the father so they're both rejecting the love and the grace of the father mm-hmm. one by running away the other by believing that he has earned it or is entitled to it because of the way because of his works and um so yeah that is a that is an interesting contrast what's interesting though is at the end it's the older brother who doesn't actually come in right and and refuses he he rides that to the end and and refuses to accept the grace and the mercy of the father and and more i think more accurately refuses to accept that he's also in need of that yes so he he's going to double down on his works and his indignation at the father for allowing the younger brother in right but because both of them seem to be operating with that scarcity mentality that you mentioned in the in the sermon that idea of instead of an abundance mentality they're operating with a scarcity mentality and right. the, the the younger brother the idea is well i need to get while the getting's good right mm-hmm. i need to get my stuff and and go while i while i can have it and and the older brother sees this celebration that he's invited to and instead of interpreting that as um, man, this is awesome. I get to be a part of enjoying this feast with the fatted calf. He somehow interprets this as this is something being withheld from me. This is something I'm now not getting. And and so they both misinterpret the father's love, the father's provision, and, and operate with this scarcity mentality. So you, you talked about that in the sermon. Where where does that come from? Why, why is it that when we read scripture and we see, uh, you know, God... God owns the cattle on a thousand hills and and we see Jesus we read Jesus teaching about how you know God provides all things and and we read that and we we declare that and then we tend to then operate though with the assumption that God's blessing is limited if you get something that I don't then that's I'm missing out and and that's somehow now something I can't get because you got blessed with that or I'm unwilling to share my gifts, my blessings, because um, because I'm afraid I'm going to run out. Like we 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 see this thing in Scripture about God's extravagance and His abundance, but then we operate with this assumption of scarcity. Where where do you think that comes from? Well, I think, I mean, there's a couple of thoughts that enter my mind. Um, one is because that's the way we function in our world. I mean, everything we know is scarce every resource our our days are scarce our money is scarce like if you um if you if you get passed over for a promotion if somebody else gets a promotion that you were vying for then you don't get that promotion if somebody um if there is a bonus to be had and one person gets that bonus you don't get that bonus there's not unlimited resources of that if you um and so I think what happens is because that's the way we function in the world, it's it's what we see all the time. And, and what that means then is all of our idols are limited. So anything I right. chase is like if power, if what I'm chasing is power and influence, well, if you get it, I don't get it. Or an inheritance from like limited earthly inheritance from parents, like if you're my brother and you get x number of dollars from mom and dad then i don't get those dollars like everything in, in our world is limited it's yeah. it's finite it's um it's fragile and so that's the great contrast with god 
and I think um, so it, it's it's such a great picture of how even when we think we don't do it, we insist on basically reducing God to something we can fully understand. Mm. We want to compare it. And, and there are ways that that is good in scripture. Like we would not understand anything about God if, if it wasn't for metaphor and, right. you know, God reducing himself in some way. The incarnation is that like we just right. we can't possibly understand the things of God. But the danger becomes when we assume that that metaphor is the whole of who mm. God is. That's good. And so if we don't believe that God actually we don't we don't have any way to understand God's infinite wealth and riches. We don't have any way to understand a being that is the source of all things. Yeah. It shows up a lot like with with kids. One of the hardest things for kids to grasp is like, well, what was what was it like before God existed? You know, or like that God wasn't created. Like you just because you don't have any frame of reference. We don't know anything right. that is eternal. We don't understand eternal because there's nothing in our experience that is eternal, right. like our tangible experience. So we try to imagine what that could look like, but that's the best we can do. And so when it comes to God's endless riches and how he has everything at his command because he's the source of all things, like he's this this constant endless source of all things, we just it's so hard for us to grasp or understand and so we then minimize it or reduce it to something we can't understand. And so um, I think that's a big part of it. Like we just compare him to the idols that we have created and we just don't understand it. And so then ultimately, then that comes to the the bigger issue, which is we just don't believe him then. Yeah. Because we don't understand it, we don't, we just flat out don't believe. Because, and we'll talk about this this next week, but um, in the sermon, but if you, if you believe Jesus talks about in sermon on, in the Sermon on the Mount of like, do not worry, do not be anxious, um, and and like I said, we'll preach on that this weekend, this coming weekend. But the idea is, God, like, look around you. God's endless wealth is you're surrounded by it, and so if if that's the case, well, obviously he's going to take care of you. And if you don't believe that, like, then the question is like, well, do I, it's just a simple matter of fact question of like, do you believe that that's who he is or do you not? And I, I wish I could make it more complicated than that. Like that ultimately it comes out, I guess I did make it more complicated by going on for 10 minutes about whatever I just went on about, you know, <laughs> good job making it complicated. But I, I was trying to explain like why it's hard for us to grasp right? and why then it is just a matter of, do you believe it or not? Like right. this is where faith comes in is like, I just can't get to a place where it's going, where I'm going to get a, a something that's going to show me like, okay, well, this is what it means. This is what it's like, because I don't have any frame of reference for it. So then the question right. is, do I believe it or do I not? Right. When God says, I'm not constrained by those same limitations, do I believe him or do I think he's a liar? Right. That seems awfully harsh. He's, I mean, well, if, if he's saying A and I say, I don't think A is true, then I'm assuming he's either um, ignorant or a liar, right? So right. if, so I, yeah, I think, I think that's simplification. It's not an oversimplification. It really is that simple. When, if God says, I am not confined by those limitations, then, then the choice simply is, do I believe him or do I disbelieve him? And if I 
believe him, then that results in me living with an abundance mentality because I trust him that he truly is over everything and has everything and is providing everything. And if I don't believe him, then I don't operate that way at all. So is there, okay, so why do we complicate it? Because that's safer. It's way, way more safe to complicate it because then if I don't, if, if, if what you're saying is true and it literally just boils down to belief or unbelief, um, then, then that's entirely my fault. That's on me, right? I'm, I, my, my issue is, well, I don't believe and I'm not obeying. Where if I complicate it, then I can add nuance and, and excuses, right? Well, here's, these are the reasons why, you know, I don't believe this or why it's hard to believe this or why this doesn't apply to me. And so we like to complicate things because then that gives me more outs where if it just boils down to Jesus said you should do this, therefore he expects me to do that. Or if I believe him, then I'll do that. And if I don't believe him, then I won't. That that really does put all the responsibility on me. That's pretty binary, right? It is. I think, I mean, I and I think there is a difference between acknowledging it is hard to believe. Yes. Or acknowledging that, like, the fear that's there or the, how scary it is to take those steps of faith. But I, I think what our, com- like, complicating of issues like this what it does is it does it gives us it gives us an out to where we don't even have to confront that issue right i can already make it about this other thing so for example like we'll we'll talk about being generous in giving and generous in our time and generous like that if we believe but ultimately this idea of abundance mentality is that there's plenty and you know we've all been in situations like there's a huge difference between like if you're at a thanksgiving dinner and there is plenty to go around like we actually you know if, if there's lots of it, then everybody's super generous. Like eat all, eat all you want right. or whatever. But when you, when you, if you don't have Turkey there or it's a really tiny Turkey and you realize this isn't going to feed everybody, then you kind of, then there's a scarcity mentality or a right. sense of like, Hey, just have a little bit, just have what you, what you need, take a small, reasonable portion. Um, and I think it's, and so like, if we, if we have the conversation about, um, okay, well, what does it look like to be a good steward? Or what does it look like to, um, like, what's what's wise, what's foolish when it comes to our resources and everything? Those are important conversations. But what happens is if we we can use all of those, um, all of those nuances to cover for this root thing of like, well, wait, but where am I starting? What's my starting point? That's Do right. I believe that God is abundant you know there's an abundance actually an abundance of time an abundance of money an abundance of resources an abundance of of all these things do i am i functioning from that place or am i functioning from a place that says no i don't actually think he has all that like i have to take control hmm. of something i have to man i have to manage these resources because they're limited hmm. so maybe would you say we were complicating the wrong end of the issue we want to we want to complicate the whether or not I have to obey that or believe mm-hmm. that. Um, yes, and then and then simplify what it looks like, right? Instead of mm. simplifying, well, do should I believe this? Well, did God say it? Then yes, I should believe that. 
should I obey this? Did God declare it? Then yes, you should obey it. That's the easy part. That's very, that's very simple. If Jesus said I should do it, I should do it. Jesus says, love your enemies. There's no, there's nothing complicated about that, whether or not I should seek to do that. Now, it can be complicated on what that looks like because there's a lot of different, I mean, there's limitless circumstances of what you would consider an enemy, how you have been wronged, how you've been hurt. Like, so there's going to be, you know, it's going to take some effort, some work, some counsel, some discipleship to work right. through sometimes what that looks like and how to do that in a given situation. But the whether or not I should love my enemies, whether or not I should, you know, trust God as my provider, like those things are actually not complicated at all. And that's, so I can get derailed right. before I even get to the actual hard part by complicating the easy part. The irony of us having a conversation right now about complicating and simplifying things, I, I, this feels very complicated. However, yeah, like that, I think it's a really good point. And what you, as you're saying that, it makes me think, okay, so yeah, you're right. I think we, we overcomplicate what is supposed to be simple and we oversimplify what is supposed to be yep. more complex. Which was actually and, kind of the basis of the basic series of saying yes. like we want to, we, yes. we've overcomplicated some things, we need to simplify. Right. Yeah. And so, but what's interesting is we use the simplification of the wrong thing to not deal with the simple hmm. thing. So, so what will happen is, for example, when we look at, um, you know, cool. okay, so you could say right now in this conversation of like, well, abundance mentality. So, so then are you saying we should just give away everything, just be frivolous and with our money and, you know, not be good stewards. Like the, the whole straw man argument. Um, so you're saying, and then you just feel right. some extreme thing. You're actually oversimplifying the, the nuanced version of how this plays out right. as a way of distracting from the, what is supposed to be the simple issue at hand, yeah. whether or not I believe and obey. Right. And we see this yeah. in our culture. So for example, um, let's say, uh, if someone, we talked about this as a staff and so you can edit this out later if you want to, but we talked about this as a staff. Like if I stood up there and said, I believe that everybody should have access to good medical care. Well, immediately people are going, Oh, so you're saying, and then you're going to fill in the blanks of all kinds of right. arguments of like, of talking about socialistic medicine, you know, medical care and all that stuff. Like, no, no, no. I'm talking like you're, you're oversimplifying solutions Right. And saying like, oh, right. well, then you mean this or this. Like, no, there's lots of nuances about how that could take place. And it's a very complex issue of how to go about doing that. But if you use that simple thing to then keep yourself um, distract from the simple thing of, oh, like, mm -hmm. no, we're just saying, like, I just think everybody should have health care. Should, should, should we be allowing people to die in our streets or right. should we treat image bearers of God with dignity and respect and care. Yeah. Like it feels like, okay, right. start there. Start there. If we, right, right. If we can. And, and you see that all the time. So forgiveness is one of those things. Like if, if, um, if we say we're supposed to forgive as God has forgiven us, well then people, a lot of times people will say like, well, what if, you know, and then you create, talk about some horrifying situation that is right. very real for some people about like, well then we're just supposed to, 
you know, or turn the other cheek. Like, so I'm just supposed to let whatever. And like, pretend like this never happened. Right. Pretend like this never happened. So is it just like, yeah, right. No, you're, you're oversimplifying into a straw man. This, what actually this looks like flushing out, but you're doing it to distract from the real issue that, okay, but I don't want to, you don't want to obey him. Like you don't want to forgive. And, but we want to start there and say, well, obviously we are called to forgive. Now, what does that look like? I mean, you and I both counseled people in situations where forgiveness for one person might mean reconciliation, might mean like full reconciliation and full like restoration of the relationship. But there have been situations where both of us have been in your counseling in a situation where you would say forgiveness is not going to look like restoration or reconciliation on this side of eternity. That's right. Like forgiveness is going to be more of an act of faith that Jesus is going to make all this right and he will reconcile all things and restore all things, but that is going to that's going to have to wait for that. That's right. Yeah, because it's because it's complicated. Like that part is complicated. What isn't complicated is the command to forgive. And your father will forgive you. If you do not forgive, your father will not forgive you. Like That's, that's horrifyingly uncomplicated. Right. Horrifyingly uncomplicated. Um, so I do think it's important for us to realize, I think that's a really good distinction of saying, let's make sure that we aren't overcomplicated, uh, overcomplicating the simple things and that we're not oversimplifying the more complex things. Mm-hmm. I'm afraid to add anything to that and so, therefore complicate it. Oh my goodness. I if if this is somebody's first podcast that they've listened to from us <laughs> this this is this I've is not I've never heard a more complicated discussion on simplicity yeah. in my whole life. Okay, well let's let's think about this a little more practically then. Let's Okay, we just had that big theoretical discussion. Are there other things that you can think of where we tend to overcomplicate something that is very simple um by you know or simplifying simplifying the more complex nuanced way that something flushes out as a way of kind of distracting or as a way of trying to complicate the very simple thing i mean was there a like not to overplay this bit but that was a very complicated way to ask that question i <laughs> this is the irony of this podcast is just <laughs> dripping all over the place. It just the most this the the title of this one is going to be the most complicated discussion ever on simplicity. It has to be. It has to be the. Um, I mean, so we yeah, we, so we talked about loving loving your enemies. Jesus also talks about loving your neighbor, right? And right. we we've and and someone else comes to him and is like, well, well, I mean, this is a pretty confusing teaching jesus like i need you to clarify this for me like he's in scripture he's trying to complicate it we've never actually evidently grown past that because i find myself still doing what the guy who came to him and asked the question was doing but so jesus says love your neighbor as yourself and his response is yeah but who is my neighbor really and and then jesus gives this you know now famous parable right the the good samaritan um which even that name is a little insulting, right? Like, this is one. This is a an outlier. He's actually a good one. Good Samaritan. The rest of the Samaritans. But I mean, that's that was the mentality of of his audience at the time. Is there was no such thing as a good Samaritan, and so the example that Jesus uses is not even 
his audience doing something kind for the hated person. It's the hated person that's the hero of the story who's doing the kind thing for a member of his audience. And so Jesus sets up the, you know, oh, you're trying to make this really complicated? How about this? Uh, think of the worst person you could possibly think of. That qualifies as your neighbor. Therefore, everybody else is included in that as well. Um, but then we can do exactly what what that original guy in the in the gospel narrative does and just say, well, but but not this person, right? Does it have to be this person? We we complicate that initial thing instead of starting from the point of, well, Jesus said, love my neighbor. So the question is not, do I love my neighbor? The question isn't even, who is my neighbor? Because his answer was, anyone who is around me. The question then becomes, so how do I do that well? That's where I need your help, right? I don't need you to help convince me, do I need to love my neighbor? Because that's, to your point, the issue of either belief or unbelief obedience or disobedience that's the simple part where i need your help where i need your discipleship where i need my brothers and sisters to walk alongside me is sometimes that's super easy and it's really well received by people and sometimes it's super difficult and complicated and i don't really know the best way to help and that's where there's nuance and i need and i need help yeah yeah i mean we see this all the time like if if starting I find it really helpful in situations where it feels things feel very complicated or feel very overwhelming. And um, then what I want to try to do is simplify it at, at its most foundational level yep. to get kind of my bearings of like, okay, what's the starting point? Mm -hmm. You know, like I've had those situations where, you know, especially in, in interpersonal relationships where you feel like this person has wronged me in such a way and I can get myself so psyched out about what, what does reconciliation look like and how could I ever mm -hmm. get to that? And I'm, and I'm yeah. complicated. I'm, I'm getting lost on the complication rather than starting at like, well, obviously I'm starting at this point where forgiveness is what I want to pursue yeah. and I want to pursue reconciliation, yeah. whatever that looks like. Um, and that can really change, um, change things. I think, I, you know, I think about, the accusations of Jesus violating the Sabbath. And specifically I was thinking about when, when you have the man with the withered hand and they're like, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Like that's them making, trying to make something, um, trying to distract themselves by like trying to make something that is very nuanced, very black and white. Is it, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? And they're complicating the wrong issue. They're, yeah. they're trying to complicate or they're trying to, um, complicate the very basic thing where Jesus says, like in Mark's account says like, is it lawful to do good or to do evil on the Sabbath? <laughs> right. like which, which one do you think yeah. God is going to, is going to be honored by on the Sabbath is good or evil. So that's actually the very simple thing. Um, whereas they are, they're like trying to get into the weeds of like this. They're trying to argue about this thing that is, that is, um, they're they're con they're trying to oversimplify what is actually complex playing out of it, and doing that in order to distract from the root thing, which Jesus is saying you're gonna do good or you're gonna do evil. And same way with the you know with the good Samaritan, like well, which who's the neighbor? Like you you're you want to start at this basic level, this foundational level, and I think we are we're just so wired to want to make things complex and to want. Like, but it's not really that we want to make things complex. I think the bigger thing is we just want to protect ourselves right. from having to believe 
things that are scary to believe. Yeah. I want to keep it at arm's length. Yeah. And so I, for the, the Pharisees, it is costly for them to know the answer to that question because, mm-hmm. because then they have to address, especially once he says, well, is it lawful to do good or to do evil? Like if it's really that simple, then they have to address the fact that this dude is likely in the synagogue week in and week out, and they have done nothing to ease the suffering of somebody that's under their care. Um, so much better to keep it theoretical right. and talk about concepts of Sabbath and not deal with the reality of we did nothing to care for one of our own suffering congregants for who knows how long. That's, that is a heart issue that yeah. I have to deal with. And, and because I'd prefer comfort, I want to keep that at arm's length, but we can't do that. We need to, it, it, our sanctification process ends up getting stalled because of our unwillingness to keep simple what is simple and say, like, literally, well, if Jesus commanded it, I should right. do that. It's It should be that simple. And then and then I actually spend my time trying to work out the, the, the difficult things that matter of how do I do this best? How do I do this most faithfully? How do I do this in, in a way that yields, you know, a hundredfold instead of just tenfold? you know, based on what he's, the gifts that he's given me. Like, those are much better questions than should I or should I not believe or obey Jesus? I mean, those are also very important questions, but that's not where, <laughs> where we should get hung up. That no. Within the church, our answer should be, yes, we should believe him. Yes, we should obey him. Now, together, let's figure out how to do that well. Yeah, so another one popped in my head. Do we have time for one more? I keep trying. So here's my personality. When I realize I've made things overcomplicated, I try then to talk more about it, hoping that at some point it'll feel simpler. <laughs> more words. It's a character flaw. Make things more simple. Yeah, it's a character flaw. That was ironic. Line. So yeah, more <laughs> that was. So, um, but I'm thinking about caring for orphans. So that's one that you know. Obviously, we talk about that as a church a lot, and. Um, and often, even in, you know, in my own heart and in conversations, when we start talking about that, people will go to, again, an extreme or start talking about how that plays out and saying like, well, we can't all, we can't all adopt. Are you saying that everyone is called to adopt? Um, but what happens is we, we end up having that kind of extreme conversation in our own heads and our own minds. And that ends up, we're, we're, oversimplifying right. um, the playing out of that by saying that caring for orphans means either I'm either I'm supposed to adopt a child or I'm not. Right. And that's oversimplifying what caring for orphans means. So that's an example of like, okay, I've, I've over, I've, I've oversimplified what caring for orphans means. And in doing that, I've distracted myself from the core issue, which is actually very simple, which is yes, you are to care for orphans. So by right. by oversimplifying what caring for orphans means, I've overcomplicated the issue of right. do I care for orphans? And where I need to start with is, okay, obviously, yes. Obviously, yes. Obviously, we need to care for orphans. Okay, what does that look like? How, How am I supposed to do that? What are all the different ways? How do we do that as a church? What does it look like um, as a church to do that? What does it look like as a family? What does it look like for my family to do that? And, and to start there. But what happens often is we use 
this oversimplification, this reductionist view of how to apply it to then just not have to deal with whether I'm actually doing the thing Jesus calls me to do and what scripture commands me to do. And so that's why like then, okay, there's a million different ways to care for orphans. Like we have the welcomed ministry. You can, you can mow a lawn for a family that has a foster child. You can take a foster child out for breakfast. You can support a family that is um, in the process of adopting. You can financially help um, to facilitate that. You can, you can participate in that even in the church family by, by, um, by being extended family and, and, and all those different things. There's just so many different ways, but our heart posture should be to, to care for orphans. Like that should be the, the, that's the simple, clear cut, obvious. Like if I believe that my father has adopted me into the family of God, then therefore I want to be an instrument of that and help facilitate all children finding families and being adopted into homes. Okay. That's very simple. That's very direct. That's very clear cut. And then we spend, then we figure out together, what does that look like? That's a pretty good example. I love that example. Of course you love that example. But I I think, (laughs) but I think it's important that we like understand like, hey, that's an important thing. You're not the only one that gets to claim that. Like just because you guys have, you know, you've adopted two children. And so it's easy to be like, oh, well, that's like, that's the Helene's thing. Like, no, it's not. It's the church's thing. Also and, not okay for me to say, check that box. Right. Also, good right, to go. Right. Yeah. Like, no, that is a continuous rhythm of oh, life. Gosh. I love the idea of you being like, I already did my part. Like, don't ask. Right. You know, like, obviously, that's horrible. Right. Like, I just got to go continue. find a widow. Right. Check. Now you check. I got to. Oh, my goodness. Do a nice thing for a widow. Check. Like, no. It's, it's a, like merit this badges. A, a rhythm. Right. Exactly. <laughs> like, we're not earning a merit badge of I have I have qualified for this thing. It is, it is a rhythm of caring for those who are unable to care for themselves, for the marginalized, for, um, for, for those on, on the fringes of our churches and our neighborhoods. Like, those are the things, like the whole New Testament is saturated. Like the, the, when Paul comes to the Jerusalem Council and they're like trying to figure out, like, is this dude here to kill us all or is he actually on our team? And they establish he's on our team. They're like, okay, awesome. Well... Okay, so preach the gospel. Also, uh, don't n- neglect the poor. Like, that's the, the right out of the gate is, hey, yeah. don't forget those who can't care for themselves. And Paul's response is, uh, obviously, like, that's a given. Like, surely, right. like, that's the that's the first thing out of the gate. So there, I, yeah, I, I, understanding that the first step is, is to, to believe and to obey. And then, and then the real question is, so how do we do that? How do we do that together? What is what is a, a lifestyle, a rhythm of that look like? And we'll talk about that in in, in a couple of weeks right. of, of setting up the rhythms of your life in such a way that you you live extravagantly um, to to reflect and demonstrate the the extravagant God. That's, but that's a way more fun, complicated. Yes, right? the fun of how can we meet these needs? How can we get even better? At, at serving and loving people like that's a way more fun and worthwhile complicated than 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 the discussions we typically find ourselves trapped in and that's that right there that was worth the price of admission right there because that's the abundance mentality the abundance mentality is that that will obviously 
if this is what God is calling us to do, he is providing us with all the resources, all the time, yeah. all the money, yeah. all the giftings to be able to do this. And so an abundance mentality thinks, how do I, how do I give more? How do I, how do we um, care for people more? How do yeah. we, how do we do more? Because we have all this abundance, whereas a scarcity mentality is more of the checkbox, you know, checking the box mentality of That's right. Like, how do I, okay, well, if I do this over here, then I've kind of, I've checked that box and it's, it's, it's trying to reduce it. And, and, but an abundance mentality is just way more fun. And when you believe, realize that that is the reality, then it's, it's actually really exciting and, and just fun to go down that road. Love that. So we want, that's the kind of fun we want to have with you church. So if we can help you in that, um, please don't hesitate to reach out to us. Uh, we want to have those kind of discussions with you most of all. How how can we obey? How can we um, be a blessing in the ways that we have been blessed? How can we have a, an extraordinary impact on the other members of this church, the community that God has placed us in and the relationships that the Holy Spirit has, uh, has placed you in? So please don't hesitate to grab us on a Sunday morning. You can email us at connect at faithpeshtigo.com. Um, and in the meantime, grace and peace to you. Music